This episode is brought to you by my signature coaching program for women, God Wants You to Be Rich. We had a beautiful cohort of women earlier this year go through the entire life-changing 10-week program. If you want first dibs on info on the program and some gifts, join the waiting list at yaeltrush.com forward slash waitlist. Again, to join the waitlist for God Wants You to Be Rich, head over to yaeltrush.com forward slash waitlist. Jewish Money Matters episode 292, Ask Yael. You're listening to Jewish Money Matters, the podcast where Jewish wisdom and spirituality meet your money and your business. Money is a means to serve God in this world with joy, to build a life that leaves an imprint way beyond our time in this world. I want you to discover the secrets to Jewish wealth, to gain practical and spiritual tools to break free from the shackles of financial worry to design the joyful, rich life that your soul desires. Welcome to Jewish Money Matters. I'm Yael Trush, and I'm so glad you're here. You're listening to Jewish Money Matters. I'm Yael Trush, your host, Ask Yael Friday. Lots of ground to cover today, but first, how is everyone doing? I hope everybody's well. One quick announcement on my end. If you've been reading my emails, you probably know that I'm encouraging you to join the waitlist for God Wants You to Be Rich, my signature group coaching program for women. You know, just saying in case you were meaning to do so all year long and you didn't get to it, <laughs> now is the time. And that's going to be at yaeltrush.com forward slash waitlist. And you might be wondering, well, why, Yael, won't you be anyway emailing about the program? Um, well, sure, I will. I certainly will. But those who've been on the wait list might be the recipients of a neat gift. Just saying. So head over to yaeltrush.com forward slash waitlist and get in on that list to be able to access the gift soon. You know, I like rewarding people to take action, positive action around here, right? All right. So back to this week, Monday, we had Dan Gross talking about Edmund Safra. Gosh, I feel like we only scratched the surface. We didn't even get to talk much about Mr. Safra's tzedakah, his charity. And did you guys hear about that American Express blunder that um, Dan spoke about? I mean, Mr. Safra didn't take any damages. He asked that all the benefit that was owed to him and damages be donated to particular charities. That's how that's how he that's who he was. And so I just wanted to make sure that you you didn't even miss that you didn't miss that point because Dan did mention it, but I forgot to stress it. So I wasn't sure if it really people got it. You know, sometimes because I've read the book, you know, sometimes I I forget that I need to highlight some important points. Uh, go back and listen if you haven't. I was Monday's episode, and of course, if you might want to consider reading the book, which I thought was wonderful. All right, so let's go over to the iTunes review section and pick a reviewer of the week. I know I forgot to do that last week. So this is what I did. I actually, I didn't find any new reviews in the US page of the podcast review section. So, I mean, in the podcast review section of the US page, that's what I meant. So I decided to see, well, what's going on on the Israel page, right? Now, I want to say I have no idea why some reviews coming from listeners in Israel appear in the podcast US page and why some only appear on the Israel page. But trust me, wherever you leave your review, it helps the show a lot. So Recently, I did notice that a lot of the reviewers who were coming from Israel, and they said, you know, they said this review's from Israel, they've been, the review's been showing up in my American page and the US page of the podcast. So I thought, okay, so no need to go check Israel. But I did. And to my wonderful surprise, I found a review there from March of this year that I hadn't seen. So this is what this listener says. 
She names this review Shepin Nachat. Uh, from, this is from March of 2022. She says, I have goosebumps from how amazing this podcast is. Every single episode speaks straight to my soul. This podcast is exactly what I've been missing in my life. And every single week, Yael and her guests give me goosebumps with their words of chizuk and incredible, inspiring stories. Shepin Nachat, thank you so much for this kind review. I am so sorry that I missed this earlier. Please send me an email, yael at yaeltrush.com, and I will right away send you a link to my calendar for us to connect, and I really look forward to it. And everyone, keep leaving those reviews. They really help the show. You remember my ambitious goal for, of reaching 150 reviews by the end of the year? Well, in the US platform, we're at 127. Can we make it? Let's try. Can we get that page to have 150 reviews? I mean, I'm pretty sure we could do that, right? Um and with that, t- talking about numbers, my gosh, we're about to hit 300 episodes of this podcast. And it like it's it just dawned on me. I, I can't believe it. I can't believe I've been doing this for so long. And I haven't really planned anything for our th- 300th episode. This, you know, it might mean that we need to do a big deal about it. Some sort of big celebration, right? Okay, I'll be putting on my thinking cap. If you got any, any ideas, just send them my way. Help me out here. Um, before I go to questions, I also want to talk about a question that I got submitted. I really want to apologize to one listener who months ago emailed me after I had said on an Ask Yale episode, I think it was probably earlier late summer um, or early fall, I had said that if anybody needed advice about sending kids away from home to high school or to yeshiva, they could reach out. And this listener did. And she sent me a super good question that I meant to not only answer, but really answer to her that I was going to crowdsource the answer from my listeners. For the life of me, I cannot find the question. And I've been meaning to mention on the on the show. I mean, I did have some issues with servers a few months ago. I also, you know, I also did a big purge of my email. So maybe somehow, either way, whatever happened, it's just lost. And I feel really, really bad. I don't can't find your email, sweet listener who I believe she emailed me from Europe. I, I have the slight recollection. Um, and the sad part is that I the whole time my, my whole intent was to ask the question to you all listening, because I was sure that you would have better answers than I did at the moment about whatever she was asking me. I think it was a little bit more than I could answer, but I knew that my listeners would be able to give her um, information on what she was looking for. So I'm really, really sorry that I haven't, you know, acknowledged your question, neither by email nor on the show. And I'm so sorry that I can't locate the email. If you're still searching for an answer, please do email me again and accept my apologies. I'm really sorry. This usually does not happen. I usually... I'm very on top of my email and I usually get to everybody's questions. All right. So speaking of questions, let's hit the mailbag. This first question is from Lily via Facebook. I think it was Facebook. She says, in the gate of trust, it said that asking God for future money today is like asking for collateral. How do I put this in perspective with saving for future items, short-term and long-term versus using the money to greater expand on good things I'm doing for myself, my family, and others today? Great question, Lily. I'm very happy that you asked the question. So Lily is referring to... um, so two things. Well, for number one, I have a series on YouTube. Um, it's all on the gate of trust. And she's referring in particular to the concept of saving 
and to chapter six of the gate of trust. I believe she may have heard me talk about this portion. Maybe she was following along on my YouTube and the series. You can catch it. Anybody can catch it on my YouTube channel. By the way, if you want to join my developing trust class right now, it's also going on. I started it again. We're doing another book, not the gate of trust, but another book on trust. Um, this time I haven't put any of the sessions on my YouTube channel, but when you join, you'll get your class reminders and your class replays. So it's completely free. Email me and I'll send you the registration link so that you can be getting all that. But anyway, back to Lily's question about chapter six of the gate of trust and asking for collateral. How does that square with the notion of saving? Great question. Number one, Lily, there's no contradiction between having savings and having bitachon, and hopefully that's going to become clear very soon. Number two, chapter six of gate of trust is refuting the show me the money mentality, or the person who, as Gate of Trust says, asks God for collateral. That is, he says to God, first, show me all the money to cover my material needs and those of my family, and then I'll serve you. And I won't serve you until my material needs and all those of my family are met. And this person is so worried, so untrusting that God will deliver that he takes that approach. He's not trusting that God will provide. So why should I give anything to this relationship? Show me what you've got. Show me that you can take care of me and then I'll invest in the relationship. Then I'll do what you want. This is described actually at the end of chapter five. This person, this character is described at the end of chapter five. And then Rabbi Nubachia, the author of The Gate of Trust, refutes that mentality in chapter six. And he shows us seven different refutations of that mentality. But Lily, you don't have that incorrect approach. You don't have that incorrect mentality. You're not the person he's describing here who wants God to provide before you serve him. Not only is chapter six not here to refute you, but that's not what you're doing by saving. On the contrary, you're doing the right thing according to the gate of trust. How do I know? Well, I want you to think about what gate of trust says in the introduction. In particular, the fourth and fifth benefits of trust referring to financial satisfaction and financial responsibility. Rabbeinu Bach is saying that when you have bitachon and you have the money, you're going to use it correctly. And also that you're going to recognize that it's on deposit. One day you might have it, one day you might not, because it's all coming from God. And when the person has the money, he doesn't go against God. And when he doesn't have it, he still doesn't go against God. And he's going to be grateful to God and not worried. So when a person has a steady job, the natural thing to do is to save some of that to manage cash flow for months with higher or unexpected expenses, including those goals, like those big goals that we're all, we all have, simchas, etc. And when you have a business, again, the same thing, those businesses have ups and downs. So again, we're talking about managing cash flow, which is a natural, prudent thing to do, because we're not supposed to rely on miracles. We're instead supposed to do something called ishtadlus, effort, something in the natural world. And saving falls under that. In this day and age, that's what saving falls. Saving is, is ishtadlus. As long as, again, going back to the language of the gate of trust in chapter six, you don't rebel against God, quote unquote, rebel against God, right? You don't become the person who now has these bank accounts with these savings deposits, i.e. your ishtatlus, and rely on them. And you rely on them and you forget God and forget who's in charge and to whom you owe the gratitude and you're obligated towards. But you're not that person, Lily. You're a person doing the natural ishtatlus and wanting to serve God. You're not doing the ishtatlus with the approach of this is all I've got. And unless I do this, I'm not going to have money or I can't invest 
time, money, and effort in my relationship with God until this savings account will be filled? Because otherwise, how am I ever going to have the money? How am I going to survive? How am I going to provide for my family? That's not you. By the way, I have heard such things. I have heard about people who literally refuse to give MICER until they have a certain amount saved up. I'm not sure where they came up with that. That is con completely contrary to the gate of trust and con completely contrary to Bitachon. Or people who refuse to or and people who refuse to close their store on Shabbat until they have a certain amount saved up. Again, that's exactly what Rabbeinu Bachia is speaking about at the end of chapter five and all of chapter six. They are making themselves responsible for the money. They're relying on the natural mechanism of saving as the source and the cost of their money, and they're not willing to develop their relationship. They're not willing to do anything until God shows them the money. So they're asking for the collateral. So back to you, Lily. In months that God gives you more than what you need, you wouldn't just throw it away, right? right? We wouldn't do that. You would save it for those bigger goals that are obviously aligned with your service. They're not contrary to God in any shape or form. You'll still be meticulous about my sir, about your Torah obligations, about, like you said, doing all the good things that you do with the money for yourself, for your family, and for others, right? So again, there is no contradiction. Saving is ishtatlus, and we have an obligation of ishtatlus. We can't rely on miracles. As long as we remember, this is the key, who capital W, is asking us to do the Ishtadlus, right? So thank you for the question. Okay, our next listener uh, is Adina. Adina asks via email. She is following up on the question of investments for minors. Yeah, El, you mentioned that there are advantages of setting up an IRA for minors account instead of a UTMA. I have some follow-up questions. Adina is referring to last week's episode where we talk about talked about this. Okay, so I'm going to take each of Adina's questions and answer them as, you know, one by one. And her first question is, what is the contribution limit for an IRA for IRA for minors? So to clarify, I mentioned a custodial Roth IRA last week, and this is an important distinction, especially as I answer all of your questions, Adina, but certainly you can open a, custo a custodial IRA as well. I do prefer the custodial Roth IRA over the IRA. And the reason is because most kids don't earn enough money to benefit from the upfront tax deduction associated with the traditional IRA. It makes sense in most cases really to focus on Roth. Uh, plus, the Roth IRA has some added flexibility, which we'll talk about. But the answer to this question about contribution limits is that for the custodial IRA or the Roth IRA, for the year 2023, the maximum your child can contribute to the IRA is um, $6,500 or the total amount of money that your child made during the year, whichever is less. So the lesser of that or $6,500. This is now up from 2022, which would the limit was $6,000. So again, for 2023, $6,500 or the total amount of money that your child made during that year, whichever is less. For example, if one of your children earns $3,000 this year, they could contribute up to $3,000 to an IRA. If your other child earns $10,000 this year, they could contribute only $6,500, the maximum contribution. Okay. So the important thing to remember is that your child must have earned income during the year for which a contribution is made. So money from an allowance or investing income does not count as earned income and cannot be used towards contributions. But if your child mows lawns, runs errands, babysits, pets it, contributions can be made to their Roth IRA. The child can make those contributions out of their earned income or a parent or grandparent can contribute that amount and they keep the kid keeps the cash as long as there is proof that they earned that income. So 
obviously, you know, ideally your child will receive a W-2 form or a, a 1099, right, for the work that he performed, but that's hardly ever the case with these like small entrepreneurial endeavors, like like babysitting or yard work or dog walking or, you know, all the things, you know, the, the bake sale and all the things. So it's, it's a good idea to keep receipts or records and they should include things like the type of work, when the work was done, for whom the work was done and how much your child was paid. Like I said, the money can't be an allowance even if the child does chores for it or it, or it can't also, it can't be a cash gift that is given directly to the child. So even though allowances are not allowed, you still may be able to pay your child for work done around the house, provided it's a legitimate, um, it's legitimate work, and that it's pay that is at the going market rate. So you can't really pay your daughter or your child or son a thousand dollars for a night of babysitting, right? That's not uh, market rate. Okay, so that's number one. Adina's second question: Are there other advantages of IRA over UTMA besides for the fact that the UTMA affects future college loans? Yes, Adina, there are other benefits. So for one, remember that with the UTMA account, at majority, the child gets the money. So when they become of age, they get the money and they can do whatever they want with it. They might reinvest it and that would be great or they might blow it on a Ferrari, for example. You know what I mean? So they will be, you know, so that's just something to take into account. So they're going to be paying taxes on that money, but it's actually, that's not really a big deal. There's a lot of beneficial tax treatment for OTMA funds. So you can, and you can check that on the IRS website. Now with the Roth, the benefit of a Roth is that when the child withdraws the money many decades later, right, in retirement, let's say, they won't have to pay income tax on it. What's more is that there's no required minimum distributions on the money as of now. I don't know what's going to be then, but they're not required to make those distributions as they are with other retirement accounts. No. Back to something that I mentioned before about the Roth and the traditional IRA. Remember that most kids don't earn enough money to benefit from the upfront tax deduction that comes with the traditional IRA. Therefore, between those two options, a Roth IRA makes more sense in most cases. Um, it really is, the, in general, the choice for minors because they have limited income now. And the Roth IRA is tailored made for people whose tax bracket is likely to be higher when they need to take the money out as opposed to when they're putting it in. And that would be the case for a minor. So if a child keeps a Roth until the age of 59 and a half, which is, you know, under today's rules, right? Any withdrawal will be tax-free. In retirement, they will be in a much higher tax bracket, so would they would effectively be keeping more of their money. So that's, you know, that's one thing to take into account. Now, there's another benefit to the Roth IRA for minors, and that is that the Roths allow penalty-free withdrawals on contributions, contributions, not earnings provided that the account is at least five years old. So that gives us a lot of flexibility. So no early withdrawal penalties on contributions as long as the account is at least five years old. Most retirement accounts will charge a, about a 10% penalty if you make a withdrawal before you're 59 and a half. Not so with the IRA, in, in the Roth IRA, excuse me, on contributions um, as long as you meet that five-year threshold. So the ch- your child can withdraw money from his or her Roth IRA for college, for starting a business, or any other kind of expense. It's a real benefit. Here's one case where you can actually, the child can actually make an early withdrawal and they won't be subject to taxes on the earnings either, nor subject to the penalty. 
that is the purchase of a first home. So that's a really nice perk. So the money must be used as a down payment or for closing costs, and the withdrawal is limited to $10,000. So the Roth IRA allows early withdrawals for a home purchase, both penalty-free and tax-free. So that's another layer of flexibility there. I mean, it's for the purchase of a home, but you know, maybe something to consider. So that's the flexibility benefit to the child of having money invested in a Roth IRA from an early age. And obviously, like you, I think you mentioned in this question or in your the next question that you asked about, obviously, we understand the benefit of compounding. Now, and I'll add something else, which is a benefit maybe to you, perhaps there might be a benefit on, on your end, if you have your own business, you can actually put your child to work doing age appropriate tasks for reasonable wages and pay into the Roth IRA account and you get a business tax deduction. So it's actually something pretty attractive for parents who are business owners when your kids come to an age where they can do office work, when they could do graphic design, when they could do web development for them. A lot of things that kids could do for us in our businesses. So if you think this might might apply to you, I would certainly check with your accountant or your tax advisor. It is a really nice added perk. Now, Your third question, Adina, is I understand the importance of starting to invest for retirement as early as possible to take advantage of compounding interest. But wouldn't minors also want to be investing for other medium term investments like future home buying, etc.? If you put it into an IRA, don't they need to leave it in till 59 and a half? So Adina, I think I've answered that question. Yes, true. They might want to be investing for other medium term investments. The Roth IRA provides them the flexibility of early withdrawal, tax free and penalty free as long as it's on contributions and in the case of a first-time property you know which you mentioned as one of the goals they might have home buying no penalty and no tax even on earnings up to 10k so when they become adults they can add those layers those different vehicles to contribute to the, the traditional ira or the 401k whichever they have you know if they have access to one otherwise a traditional ira could be added to the mix or a brokerage account as you you know well suggested because they might have other medium term goals so i hope that clarified it and that is a wrap my friends we covered trust asking god for collateral savings and all about custodial roth iras for our kids so retirement for kids good stuff thanks adina and lily for your thoughtful questions you can email everyone you can email your questions for this friday's show or you can DM me on Instagram. My email is yael at yaeltrush.com. That's T-R-U-S-C-H or Instagram at yaeltrush. If you've been curious about God wants you to be rich, my best piece of advice is to get on that wait list now at yaeltrush.com forward slash wait list. Shabbat shalom and I'll see you here next week. 